Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 10, Chapter 13. Does this chapter foretell of a potential romantic relationship between Maya and Rostov? How might this work with the history between their siblings? How does this chapter develop the character of Rostov? How might this development influence his future? Um... Fair warning, says Rahul the Invader, Denton's post today has some spoilers. Recommend skipping if you want to go blind into the events ahead. Good call. Didn't know that. I should have put a warning of that. But of course, um, yeah, I didn't know. But thanks for the uh, heads up there, Rahul the Invader. Ripster66 says, okay, so the last chapter wasn't as much of a cliffhanger as I feared. Interesting interaction between Rostov and Maya. The whole situation appeals to Rostov's romantic and idealistic nature. This could get very interesting. The plot thickens, says Prince Kane. Things are actually getting very interesting. It's a bit early to jump to conclusions, but I wonder if Rostov knows how Maya might be a chance for him to get married to someone he likes, appease his mother, and even restore his family to its former nobility. Maya will also probably be happy with the caring family he has, especially after spending so much of her life with a somewhat cold father. Well, Maya really didn't seem to like um, Natasha or Natasha's father, or Nicholas's father. So the whole caring family thing, I don't know, kind of uh, throws a spanner in the works of that. If anything, it seems like she doesn't really get along with the Rostovs. Um, And her father didn't have a whole lot of respect for them. Of course, her brother was deeply in love with Natasha. That's another thing. Uh, Of course, if it happens, says Prince Kane, it wouldn't be the first relationship between the Rostov and Bolkonsky families. Then again, we all know how the first one turned out. Four lost souls in a bowl says, does Rostov understand who this princess is now, that she's his sister's ex-fiancé's sister? He was told she's the daughter of old Bolkonsky, but he didn't seem to have any reaction to that. I assume he knows who she is, but I still have to wonder. And then the question is, what will Maya's reaction be to the revelation that this is Natasha's brother? Now, I'm not sure if I missed it or if it's upcoming, but there's an awesome bit with Rostov somewhere around here, where he's he's just awesome. I can't really remember what he does. But I do remember he sort of, I don't know, he just does something awesome somewhere around here. That's all I'm going to say. Partly because I can't really remember what it is and also partly I don't want to spoil anything. But uh, I'm excited to read on nonetheless. So let us do it and read chapter 14. Goes like this. Well, is she pretty? Uh, Friend, my pink one is delicious. Her name is Danyasha. But on glancing at Rostov's face, Ilyin stopped short. He saw that his hero and commander was following quite a different train of thought. Rostov glanced angrily at Ilyin, and without replying, strode off with rapid steps to the village. I'll show them. I'll give it to them, the brigands, said he to himself. Alpatish, at a gliding trot, only just managing not to run, kept up with him with difficulty. What decision have you been pleased to come to, said he. Rostov stopped and, clenching his fists, suddenly and sternly turned to Alpatish. Decision? What decision? Old dotard, cried he. What have you been about? Eh, the peasants are rioting. 
You can't manage them. You're a traitor yourself. I know you. I'll flay you alive. And as if afraid of wasting his store of anger, he left Alpatiche and went rapidly forward. Alpatiche, mastering his offended feelings, kept pace with Rostov at a gliding gait and continued to impart his views. He said the peasants were obdurate and that the present moment it would be imprudent imprudent to over-resist them without an armed force, and it would not be better first to send for the military. I'll give them armed force. I'll over-resist them, uttered Rostov meaninglessly, breathless with irrational animal fury and the need to vent it. Without considering what he would do, he moved unconsciously, with quick, resolute steps toward the crowd. And the nearer he drew to it, the more Alpatiche felt that this unreasonable action might produce good results. The peasants in the crowd were similarly impressed when they saw Rostov's rapid, firm steps and resolute, frowning face. After the hussars had come to the village and Rostov had gone to see the princess, a certain confusion and dissension had arisen among the crowd. Some of the peasants said that these new arrivals were Russians and might take it amiss that the mistress was being detained. Dron was of this opinion, but as soon as he expressed it, Karp and others attacked their ex-elder. How many years have you been fattening on the commune? Karp shouted at him. It's all one to you, you'll dig up your pot of money and take it away with you? What does it matter to you whether our homes are ruined or not? We've been told to keep order and that no one is to leave their homes or take away a single grain and that's all about it, cried another. It was your son's turn to be conscripted, but no fear. You begrudged your lump of a son, a little old man suddenly began attacking Dron, and so they took my vanka to be shaved for a soldier, but we all have to die. To be sure, we all have to die. I'm not against the commune, said Dron. That's it. Not against it. You've filled your belly. The two tall peasants had their say. As soon as Rostov, followed by Ilyin, Lavrushka and Albertish, came up to the crowd, Karp, thrusting his fingers into his belt and smiling a little, walked to the front. Dron, on the contrary, retired to the rear, and the crowd drew closer together. "'Who is your elder here, hey?' shouted Rostov, coming up to the crowd with quick steps. "'The elder? What do you want with him?' asked Karp. But before the words were well out of his mouth, his his cap flew off, and a fierce blow jerked his head to one side. "'Caps off, traitors!' shouted Rostov in a wrathful voice. "'Where's the elder?' he cried furiously. The elder, he wants the elder. Dron, Zakarich, you. Meek and flustered voices here and there were heard calling, and caps began to come off their heads. We don't riot, we're following the orders, declared Karp, and at that moment several voices began speaking together. It's as the old men have decided, there's too many of you giving orders. Arguing? Mutiny, brigands, traitors, cried Rostov, unmeaningly, in a voice not his own, gripping Karp by the collar. Bind him, bind him, he shouted, though there was no one to bind him but Lavrushka and Alpatish. 
Lavrushka, however, ran up to Karp and seized him by the arms from behind. Shall I call up our men from beyond the hill? he called out. Alpatish turned to the peasants and ordered two of them by name to come and bind Karp. The men obediently came out of the crowd and began taking off their belts. Where's the elder? demanded Rostov in a loud voice. With a pale and frowning face, Dron stepped out of the crowd. Are you the elder? Bind him, Lavrushka, shouted Rostov, as if that order too could not possibly meet with any opposition. And, in fact, two more peasants began binding Dron, who took off his own belt and handed it to them, as if to aid them. And you all listen to me, said Rostov to the peasants. Be off to your houses at once, and don't let one of your voices be heard. Why, we've not done any harm. We did it just out of foolishness. It's all nonsense. I said then that it was not, an or in, not in order. Voices were heard bickering with one another. There, what did I say? said Alpatish, coming into his own again. It's wrong, lads. All our stupidity, Yakov Alpatish, came the answers, and the crowd began at once to disperse through the village. The two bound men were led off to the master's house. The two drunken peasants followed them. Hey, when I look at you, said one of them to Carp, how can one talk to the masters like that? What were you thinking of, you fool? added the other. A real fool. Two hours later, the carts were standing in the courtyard at the Bogotrovo house. The peasants were briskly carrying out the proprietor's goods and packing them on the carts. And Dron, liberated at Princess Mary's wish from the cupboard where he had been confined, was standing in the yard directing the men. Don't put it in so carelessly, said one of the peasants, and a man with a round smiling face, taking a casket from a housemaid. You know, it has cost money. How can you chuck it in like that or shove it under the cord where it'll get rubbed? I don't like the way of doing things. Let it all be done properly, according to rule. Look here, put it under the bast matting and cover it with hay. That's the way. Eh, books, books, said another peasant, bringing out Prince Andre's library, cupboards. Don't catch up against it. It's heavy, lads, solid books. Yes, they worked all day and didn't play, remarked the tall, round-faced peasant, gravely pointing with a significant wink at the dictionaries that were on top. Unwilling to obtrude himself on the princess, Rostov did not go back to the house, but remained in the village, awaiting her departure. When her carriage drove out of the house, he mounted and accompanied her eight miles from Bogotrovo to where the road was occupied by our troops. At the inn at Yankovo, he respectfully took leave of her for the first time, permitting himself to kiss her hand. How can you speak so, the blushing she blushingly replied to Princess Mary's expressions of gratitude for her deliverance, as she termed what had occurred. Any police officer would have done as much if we had only had if we had, had only peasants to fight, we should not have let the enemy come so far, said he with a sense of shame and wishing to change the subject. I'm only happy to have had the opportunity of making your acquaintance. Goodbye, Princess. I wish you happiness and consolation and hope to meet you again in happier circumstances. If you don't want to make me blush, please don't thank me. But the princess, if she did not again thank him in words, thanked him with the whole expression of her face, radiant with gratitude and tenderness. 
She could not believe that there was nothing to thank him for. On the contrary, it seemed to her certain that had he not been there, she would have perished at the hands of the mutineers and of the French, and that he had exposed himself to terrible and obvious danger to save her, and even more certain was it that he was a man of lofty and noble soul, able to understand her position and her sorrow. His kind, honest eyes, with the tears rising in them when she herself had begun to cry as she spoke of her loss, did not leave her memory. When she had taken leave of him and remained alone, she suddenly felt her eyes filling with tears, and then, not for the first time, the strange question presented itself to her. Did she love him? On the rest of the way to Moscow, though the princess's position was not a cheerful one, Dunyasha, who went with her in the carriage, more than once noticed that her mistress leaned out of the window and smiled at something with an expression of mingled joy and sorrow. Well, supposing I do love him, thought Princess Mary. Ashamed as she was of acknowledging to herself that she had fallen in love with a man who would perhaps never love her, she comforted herself with the thought that no one would ever know it, and that she would not be to blame if, without ever speaking of it to anyone, she continued to the, to the end of her life to love the man with whom she had fallen in love for the first and last time in her life. Sometimes when she recalled his looks, his sympathy and his words, happiness did not appear impossible to her. It was at those moments that Danyasha noticed her smiling as she looked out of the carriage window. Was it not fate that brought him to Bogotrovo and at that very moment, thought Princess Mary, and that caused his sister to refuse my brother? And in all this Princess Mary saw the hand of Providence. The impression the princess made on Rostov was a very agreeable one. To remember her gave him pleasure, and when his comrades, hearing of his adventure at Bogotrovo, rallied him on having gone to look for hay and having picked up one of the wealthiest heiresses in Russia, he grew angry. It made him angry just because the idea of marrying the gentle Princess Mary, who was attractive to him and had an enormous fortune, had against his will more than once entered his head. For himself personally, Nicholas could not wish for a better wife. By marrying her, he would make the Countess his mother happy, would be able to put his father's affairs in order, and would even, if he felt it, ensure Princess Mary's happiness. But Sonia, and his plighted word, that was why Rostov grew angry when he was rallied about Princess Bolkonskaya. All right, there we go. There's that chapter for you. A few people kind of guessed it. A bit of uh, burgeoning romance there between Maya and Rostov. You love to see it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.